Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Alicia Rye, who's going to shed some light on a topic that affects one in six couples in Canada. Alicia shares her journey of pursuing motherhood through years of fertility treatments and multiple miscarriages. Despite many instances of disappointment, her story is one of hope and the power of love. Her motivation to share her journey is to shed light on topics that have been considered taboo and shameful for many women so that no other woman has to feel isolated. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Good. And you, Lisa? Oh, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with you and have this conversation. Um, You and I connect on many different levels. And we're going to talk about the journey that I spoke about in your bio, but I would also like to bring that back a little bit. Um, and I want to take you back to South Africa because as you know, I'm an expat and I feel like that adds a layer to your story that people might not realize, but I can appreciate because I know what it's like to live in another country and to be far away from home. And so can you bring us back a little bit in your story and talk to us about what life was like in South Africa what made you decide to come to Canada? Like bring us back there. That's where I'd like to start the story. Whoa, you're taking me back to 2011. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for, for me, it was just a, um, a gut feeling and almost like a heart drawing towards moving to another country. And I had considered Ireland and I considered Canada. But there was just something about Canada that just pulled a little bit more on my heart. And I had colleagues that had worked in Canada and they just spoke about the work-life balance that they had. And that was very appealing for me at the time because um, I was doing emergency medicine in South Africa. I was doing diving and hyperbaric as well. And so I was really busy. It was like 12 hour shifts, six days a week. It was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the peel of, wow, I, I I can actually have a life besides being a doctor was was also something that, uh, you know, looked very good. And so I started the paperwork then. Um, but as life always has it, you know, I met my husband probably a few weeks after I submitted my paperwork. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I, of course I did, right? And, and so you get married and you're in that blissful state and you kind of drag your feet a little bit and you're like, okay, maybe we can make South Africa work. I mean, I was in Cape Town or we were in Cape Town and it's mm. a beautiful, beautiful It's city. stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. I love Cape Town. And so you think, okay, you know, things aren't so bad. But, you know, as time went on, we started to realize that um, both our lifestyles was not something that would be conducive to having a family. And it was just a series of events that just kind of pushed me a little bit more um, to be like, I really need to reopen and relook at Canada. And so we then started, I was then more active in then saying, okay, I need to write the exams, need to, you know, continue and pick up all that paperwork. And it took about two years for us to get um, all our ducks in a row before you can get a, a work 
permit, um, and a, a, a labor market impact assessment, you know, to actually prove that you are a skilled worker that's needed in the country. So there's lots of hoops to jump through. And all of that comes with them, you know, a whole lot of other stress that you know, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. another country. And it, it literally is really starting anew, starting fresh. Mm-hmm. Right? It's Absolutely. everything that you know. I'm born and brought up in South Africa. It's everything that I know, my network, my family, my friends, and saying, I'm going to pack four bags, which is what we did. We packed four bags between my husband and I, and we said, we bought a one-way ticket, and we're like, let's go to Calgary. We never, we've never been to Calgary. I knew it was a good place for my husband to find a job. Um, and that was it. And we were like, we were adventurous and we were like, well, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then we'll move on and we'll we'll go somewhere else. And but it's also that step of faith, right? To just Absolutely. be like, I'm going to put myself out there and trust that 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 little nudge that I'm getting to the knowing the to make that move. And we got here, it, we landed on the 15th of November, 2015. And did you have a jacket? I'm like, <laughs> South Africa to Calgary in November. We didn't How's have that a, for a shocker. <laughs> and it is a 30 hour flight with transit mm-hmm. and got to the airport, had to now rent a car. And so my name was on the rental lease. And so now in South Africa, you drive on the right side of the car and on the opposite side of the road so it was a disorientation as well like factor and it was snowing and I didn't know where I was going so I'm driving from the airport and my husband's trying to like google with the gps and pre-printed maps because (laughs) (laughs) we reached on the place and and then it was like okay so we're here and the first six months is was a struggle it really was a struggle because I needed to go through an assessment period as well of saying that you actually um, are fit to practice in the country. So you have another doctor overseeing the work that you're doing. And so that came with a whole lot of stress. I remember the, the day before going into work, I just like balled up and like my husband holding me just crying because of fear mm-hmm. that we've packed up our lives. We've moved to another country. My husband has given up so much. All on the all on this feeling that I have of we need to be in this country, and what if I don't make this assessment? Pressure, major pressure, absolute mm-hmm. pressure. And I remember my husband just saying, "It's going to be okay. It doesn't matter which way it's going to go. We're going to be okay." And the assessment kind of period went by six months. Um, I got through that assessment, had passed, and. It was the first time I actually heard about imposter syndrome. You're like, I have that. <laughs> and I remember the physicians, you know, the doctor that did this assessment, she's like, well, we love South African doctors. You guys are really well-trained. And and I felt it's at some point someone was going to catch me out and realize, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 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 not supposed to be here. This is not my country. I didn't, I didn't study here. And I realized, oh, wow, so this is what imposter syndrome is. And so it was then that was also a journey of having to figure out, actually, you have enough education and enough qualifications behind your name to justify why you're practicing in this country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was also a learning um, 
phase for, for, for me. And then the basics, go to your learners. We were already in our thirties, like mid thirties by then. Mm-hmm. Like go do your learners, go take a driver's test, get a healthcare card, get a all the basic things that you just take for granted in South Africa that you'd already had. And now you start up and you do that again. So, you know, lots of changes, lots of learning about yourself too. Right. And, um, I feel like if you've never been in that situation before, um, you can probably relate to this and I can speak from experience is Mm -hmm. that you depend on your partner in a way that you never knew you would have to, because they are your person. They are literally the only person you might know in the country. They're the person you go home to They're Like, it's just like your ride or die for real, right? Like you're just dependent on each other. Um, and they see you through these waves of emotion that you're going through. So even if you were like rock steady in South Africa or in your own country, when you feel like you fit in, now you're thrown into the other side of the world, into a new life. And you're riding all these emotions and you're like, just in it with this one person. Right. So talk to me about now your relationship with your husband and how that, um, moved into trying to start a family. So I 100% concur with what you're saying, like, they are your ride or die. But the great thing with that was, is I, I felt like it, it really bonded us in such an incredible way. Um, I, I mean, we had, I had this inkling when I was in South Africa already that, you know, we were already married a year and it wasn't something I was preventing, but it wasn't happening. I wasn't getting pregnant. I saw a um, kind of obstetrician and they kind of brushed it off. You're still young. Women have kids, you know, women have babies right into their 40s. Just get on with your life, you know. And then I thought, okay, you know, the usual thing. You're stressing too much. You're working too hard. All of those kind of things kind of play into it as well. When we got to Canada in July in June that year I was pregnant and so I was like okay so maybe there was truth to the fact that I was just stressing a lot and it was just a matter of timing that we're now you know we're now pregnant uh of course I was over the moon thinking okay I've dodged a bullet I don't have to go down the route of infertility and because you know about all you know women Mm -hmm. who struggle to get pregnant and I was just like okay we've dodged a bullet I'm now pregnant it never ever occurred to me that I would lose the pregnancy and I think it's almost as if you you get into that mindset that these things happen to other people but it never happens to you and I think that also comes you know what played in a role in in that is your medical background you always the helper you never on the other side of being helped mm-hmm. and so you know that made it seem like okay well now I'm pregnant you know all's great and we started looking at a home to buy in Canada and we had I walked through this home uh, that we're in currently I the first thing it was like I know which is going to be my room for my baby because mm-hmm. I was already pregnant at the time um, it was around about the time of our, our um, anniversary and I remember going to surprise my husband on our wedding anniversary dinner and tell him I was pregnant and I did I like made this onesie like made in Canada for our baby because <laughs> Canada and you know I gave him all of this and it was amazing and about four or five days later I started bleeding and it was almost as if you just go into a state of 
shock. Like, how could this be happening? I remember going to the um, urgent care because I didn't know any better at that time. And I thought, well, I probably need an ultrasound, just confirm that I have lost the baby. And I remember being so emotional and crying. And um, the physician asked me, why are you crying? And I thought, what do you what do you mean? Why am I crying? I I just I've just lost this pregnancy that I really wanted. And he's like, this happens to a lot of women. And he brushed me off. And I sobbed even more because I felt so unheard. And I felt as if, okay, I know this is common, but I really wanted this baby. Mm -hmm. And um, it took a you know, it took a lot of time to get over that. Um, I remember going to work the following week thinking, okay, the best thing to do is just keep working because that's just what you do. You just keep working through all of these things. And the first patient I had of the morning was a young woman pregnant, not wanting her pregnancy. Oh, oh my goodness. I went to the bathroom at work, I shut the door, and I sobbed. Eventually, the office manager had to just come and say, look, I think you need to go home, let's cancel your day. And it took a while to get over that loss. And most people would be like, oh, this happens, you know, and you get all the, everything happens for a reason. Um, It wasn't the time, and um, it'll happen again. At least, you know, you can get pregnant. And I felt so unseen. Mm -hmm. I felt what I was going through wasn't recognized. That I wanted this baby and this baby. Not just another pregnancy, but that baby. And and so, you know, of course, my husband, the absolute rock that he was, um, he was just like, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you, whatever you need. And so we got through things and... I realized I wasn't getting pregnant that easy again. And that's when we really started then going for sort of more invasive treatments um, and started getting fully worked up. And all the workup was, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your husband. Let's just keep going. And yeah, eventually fast forward a few years and you realize, well, they say there's nothing, but there clearly is something. And then you realize time's going by and you realize then you're actually an older woman too, trying to get pregnant. Um, so that also plays a you know a, a factor in all of that. So yeah, it, it it truly is a roller coaster because every month you're hopeful. This is our month. We're gonna get pregnant. I've got all the apps, I've got all the ovulation sticks, I'm tracking. We're perfectly timing it, which takes all the fun out of, of, mm-hmm. of trying to you yeah. know, start a family. That adds another layer with your partner. And then the stress, because the pressure. And the stress and the pressure, and you, you, you know, you're not openly sharing all of this. So it's just, again, the two of you dealing in a new country, dealing with this thing that you don't want other people to know about as well. And... You know, eventually I got pregnant again and I was like, okay, I'm pregnant. And that pregnancy went to about eight weeks and I lost that pregnancy again. And that's when you start questioning why, why us? 
um, you start looking around at other people and you think, um, how, why does it happen so easy for other people? And why is it a struggle for us? I love my husband. We know we can give a child a good home. Um, and you look at other circumstances and you think, this, no, the child is not wanted. They can't care for the child. And you're like, this is not fair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to deal with all of those questions and then come back to, okay, we don't choose the cards that we dealt but I can choose the way in which I am managing this, this situation. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, uh, he would always just be, I don't know what our family is going to look like, but I do believe we're going to have a family. Okay. And so he was just, his intuition was, we're going to have a family and that's it. We just keep going with it. I got pregnant for the third time and I was like, right, let's go. There is a charm. I can do this. Okay, I mean, this like, is, this is our turn. This is, <laughs> I looked at their pregnancy stake and I was like, I am bringing you home. I actually spoke <laughs> to the pregnancy stake. <laughs> <laughs> you am, are the one. You are the one. I'm bringing you home. You are my hold in my arms, baby. Mm. And eight weeks same thing no at that point I was like forget this we're not doing this anymore I can't do it anymore the hormones take a toll on you the navigating your life around when we're ovulating when the fertility treatments line up how do I get off a uh, time off from work so that I can plan all of these things it just became too much and then you're also probably can't get excited you're afraid to get excited I imagine because the disappointment absolutely and so you create that distance as well we're like okay you know my husband would be like we we you know we we are cautiously optimistic so we want this but we're really cautious not to get our hopes up mm -hmm. and it was the same thing when I was pregnant with my son it was probably only once I got to like 25 weeks of pregnancy so 24 weeks is considered viable and when I got to 25 weeks it was the first time I actually said I am pregnant that's a long time to be cautiously optimistic yes it's a and long time to not be excited I remember that one day I think uh we went somewhere because it was obviously still COVID but we were allowed to then go to a restaurant but socially distance and somebody says uh you know like any allergies and I just said I'm pregnant and I looked at my husband and I said oh my goodness I I just said I'm pregnant <laughs> and you know then that sort of pulls that excitement as well that you know yeah. it is a baby coming but you know it, it it truly is a cycle of getting your hopes up and then being dashed at the end of the month and then getting your hopes up and then being dashed at the end of the month. And, you know, you pick yourself up and you're like, okay, we just got to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and then keep going. Right. Like you persevere. And at some point you realize I, I need help mm -hmm. because mentally that took a lot, like that grief. Of Absolutely. Of those losses and 
And I mean, of course, then I had started therapy, which was really helpful in how in in being able to navigate infertility and the miscarriages and just our struggle to become parents. Mm-hmm. And so then when you got pregnant with your son, do you want to take us through that journey? So or when when so you you took us to your 25 weeks and then this this is the pregnancy. And this is a pregnancy, right? So we know it's a little boy who is super excited. And I remember thinking, okay, this is it. But of course, with my son, he we adopted him as an embryo. So he was, he's not genetically related to my husband and I. So most people are like, what does that mean? Like, so you carry, so I carried him. Okay, I didn't know this. I carried him, I birthed him, but he is not genetically related to my husband and I. So we decided after the third miscarriage that I felt like I could not go through this again. I felt as if our doctors were also not suggesting that I try anymore. Um, And adoption was always something that my husband and I spoke about. But it was always in the context that we would have biological children and then adopt. But now we were like, okay, well, let's reconsider this. So we looked at traditional adoption. Again, it didn't come with a guarantee that we would actually get a baby. Mm -hmm. Like a long waiting period, like four to seven years before you would actually maybe hold a baby in your arms. Wow. And so I thought, okay, felt defeated after having a, you know, a few discussions with adoption agencies in Canada and realized, okay, this is not going to work out. And then started thinking, well, perhaps I'm just not meant to be a mother. But still couldn't reconcile how much my heart still desired to be a mother. And I thought, why do I have this, this desire to be a mom? but it's just not happening. Like it's not making sense. And I feel like I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not getting the outcome that I want. And for someone who is a type A, um, has a type A personality, it, it didn't make sense because for me, hard work pays off. Mm-hmm. You put in the work, you get the results. And I felt as if I was putting in the work and I was just getting got punched Mm -hmm. and so we you know went down the route of embryo adoption I was in a lot of infertility forums and I had you know chatted with a few women I had gone down that route and I thought okay you know what my husband and I spoke about it and my husband was he was just like we don't need biology to be a family we that's not important for him And so I posted our story onto a Facebook forum one night, like one o'clock in the morning. I remember sobbing, writing the story out of who we are and saying, we just want the opportunity to be parents. And if you have embryos that you would like to donate to us, we will welcome them with open arms. And posted the story at one o'clock. Next morning, I get a message and this woman from the USA messages me and she says, I read your story and I've been to South Africa and I'd really love to chat with you and your husband. So we got into this. I got chills there. Got into this call with her and her husband and her 
absolutely incredible people. And she said, you know, my family is complete. We did, we went through infertility. Um, I had three embryos. One embryo was used. That's my eldest daughter. I don't have use for these other two embryos, but I don't have the heart to discard it. So I would like to give them to you. Wow. And it was another roller coaster journey of now navigating getting these embryos into our name. So all the legal contracts back and forth, uh, psychological evaluations for you for, for you to truly understand what you're getting into. You're going to be pregnant um, with a child that's not genetically related to you. And, you know, do you understand all the, you know, the aspects of it? And of course, my husband and I were 100% on board with it. And after a few months, FedEx delivered two embryos to Calgary. Wow. And I then mustered up the courage again to get back onto a, a, a treatment cycle. So it's basically like a frozen embryo cycle that you go through again. And somewhere towards the end of January, we had the embryo transfer. Um, everything went smoothly and I was pregnant. Amazing. It was quite the journey to get to that point. Um, you know, it's it's something that always sounds easy, but when I when I sometimes I think back to little aspects of it, it it was it was tough making sure that this was the right decision for us. But again, you follow the still and the small uh, the, the the big and the the small nudges along the way, and that's how we landed with our, our son. And I, you know, in hindsight now, two years in with my son, he's a hundred percent mine. Like there's of course. There's no doubt about it. Like we've we've walked a journey that that I can't wait to share with him one day. And that's something that we'll be really um, open with my son about. Um understanding how much we wanted him, how much we prayed for him. Um, but knowing that we still have a really good, I have a really good relationship with the donors. And um knowing that if he's ever wanted to get in touch with his genetic siblings and um, that there's options for him to to still do that. And can you tell us a little bit about where you are now on your journey? So now on my journey, I am, unfortunately, um, I didn't have the, the smoothest birth. Um, so it was a really traumatic delivery and Aiden sustained head trauma he was born two months premature and he has cerebral palsy. So I am a mom raising a little boy with a disability. And how has your experience um, with that and your journey, because I imagine your, your feelings again, not what you expected probably because from birth, this is not what you expected. And can you walk us a little bit through how you accepted that and, and where that's brought you now? Because I think that's where the power lies in this story. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, the vision that I had for motherhood is not the one that I'm living right now. No one ever enters 
this you know journey and things oh yeah this is okay this is not what I expected and I'm very open about that but I think that for me I realized that the grief of everything would have consumed me Mm -hmm. would consume all of me and and spiraling into this is not fair that I've had to work so hard for a child finally get him almost lose him and then now have to raise a child with a disability. It's not fair. But here's the thing I've come to realize that life is not fair. We don't choose the cards we're dealt, but we choose how we deal with it and how we how we react to it. And so with lots of therapy, lots of cups of coffee with my husband, mm. it was we're going to take our grief and turn it into giving. We're going to take the ache and turn it into action. And we're going to take the wounds that we've picked up along the way. And we're going to turn it into wisdom for other people. And that has now, that pain has now turned into purpose for me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's, that's, I, I mean, you can't do much better than that. That's, I think that's where um, most people who are struggling would love to get to that place. And I imagine that it took a lot of work to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I, again, felt as if all this pain, if I kept it in private and if I kept my story quiet, I think what would the purpose be in all of this? Just another woman that went through all of these things and did nothing with it. But if I could change it, and if I could change what has happened and change the narrative into, I can take all of this and use it to share the story so that another woman who hears the story doesn't feel alone, doesn't feel isolated, that doesn't feel like, geez, I'm the only one that's struggling to get pregnant, I'm the only one that's having miscarriages, and she could hear the story and realize, okay, I'm not alone in this. But also that there are other options to building your family. And I, I get that it's not for everyone. Um, but to know that there are other options to building your family, um, I think in some ways is reassuring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and encouraging. When- and I'm sure that when you sorry, when you were going through those struggles, and especially that's why I brought it up at the beginning about being in a different country, being away from your support system. I'm sure at that time, you would have loved to have you in your life, a version of you, someone who's been there, someone who's sharing their experiences and their story. So for you to be able to do that for someone else is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I would have loved for someone to just do take me by the hand and at that time say, I mean, of course my husband was saying it, but another woman to say, it's going to be okay. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. And so can you tell us about your foundation a little bit? So we have started a nonprofit called Hope for Cerebral Palsy. And it's everything in the name is that there's always hope. No matter what this, what we're facing in life, that 
It's the belief that tomorrow holds something better. And so when you receive the diagnosis of cerebral palsy, one, most people don't even know what that is. And and two, you don't even know what the journey is actually going to look like. And what you actually get is just what your child is not going to do, how they're not going to measure up. And that's what I had to navigate. I left NICU with, with no hope, uncertain with this baby I so, so desperately wanted, uncertain whether I would interact with him. Would he say mama? Would he recognize me? Would he see? Could he hear? Could he walk? Could he talk? Would he eat? I didn't know and they couldn't tell me and they in many ways said probably not. Mm, that is so hard. As a new mom, a new mom is being as hard like just if you have a child who is healthy, a new mom, being a new mom is terrifying. So I can't imagine a doctor saying, I don't know to those questions and being a new mom and being in a new country. That's all really hard. In the middle of a pandemic with no one around us, it was my husband and I. And that was it. Um, and so what we decided when Aiden had turned one was we said that we want to step up we want to fill a gap that we found navigating the medical system here with to support other parents so that when they were scouring the when they scouring the internet looking for therapy options um that we come up and that we can impart the the, the wisdom that we've picked up along the way um, in how to access therapy, um, knowing that even though people say that your child isn't going to do these things, we don't know. But what we need to do is you need to believe in that child. You need to advocate for your child. And right now, my, my son, he says, mama, he says, dada, he absolutely interacts with us. He's walking with assistance and he's far exceeded what what we were told in the NICU. And I'm so grateful that we hung on to that hope for him and that we advocated for him. And I feel like that's the power of love. That's amazing. I love that. Can you tell people where that they can find you? So we are on Instagram and on Facebook, and it is hopeforcerebralpalsy.com. And that's where you would find us. Okay. And before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Let's okay. Go. If you could sit down for a glass of wine or a conversation with one woman living or dead, who would it be? Oh, you got me a woman. I would say it would be mother Teresa. That's a great answer. What is your go-to well-being or self-care practice? A glass of wine. It's a good chocolate. one. <laughs> a I like wine, that. Some chocolate and some Netflix. <laughs> Favorite book or podcast recommendation? Oh, well, it's going to be your podcast. Um, <laughs> favorite book, my all-time favorite book was Redeeming Love. 
my friend seen rivers um and i just felt like that was such a book also of hope um and how no matter how bleak your situation can look that there's better days to come beautiful what does sisterhood mean to you sisterhood means showing up for one another it means supporting each other through the good and the bad and making sure that that woman that's struggling and i can speak to miscarriage infertility raising a kid with disability that she never feels alone that she feels seen and that she feels heard And last one, what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very good. So fitting. It's going to be a roller coaster ride, but you're going to be okay. Mm. Alicia, thank you so, so much for being open and honest and vulnerable and sharing this journey with us. And I hope that there is even just one woman listening. And if you are, and if you need to hear this and you need to talk to Alicia, please reach out to her. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks for listening, friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.